My name is Skolk Nietling, and this is the Mechanical Inc. Podcast, a podcast about open source, the open web, sustainability, and those who want to make the web and the world a better place. Hey, Kai and Taylor, and welcome so much to the Mechanical Inc. Podcast. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hi. Excited Thanks to be here. Us. Yeah, glad it's finally happening. It's one of those ones. I've had many of these where it's like, tomorrow we're going to do it. And it's like, oh, can we like try another date? <laughs> You're like, oh, but that's not going to work for me. It's like just. <laughs> I, I don't remember at this point how often we've rescheduled. Um, possibly three times, maybe just two. I don't know, but it feels like a lot more. <laughs> at least this isn't a container stuck in a port, you know, it's kind of dealing with that. Like maybe we'll pick it up today or tomorrow or something over winter break. The problem is that it costs me a hundred dollars a day every day it sits there. So <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Thank goodness. It's not like that, but yeah, we're yeah. here. So um, I'm glad we're making it because this, you got, you're doing some awesome work and um, I'd love to talk about it and learn more about it myself. That's why I didn't have too many questions because I'm just going to like ask questions. But before we dig into all of that, I'm going to let each of you introduce yourselves. We agreed that we're going to do the alphabet thing. So Kai, you're up first. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, my name is Kai. Um, my last name is Katstala, but no one can pronounce that. So I usually don't bother mentioning it. Um, my pronouns are they, them. I'm a technical communication specialist. I have a background in journalism, so I don't actually come from being a developer, but I come from journalism, but I've worked in tech for about a decade, mostly with startups, and then just um, kind of got into more and more complex kind of technical stuff over time. Um, I've done quite a bit of public speaking, and I'm one of those weird people who actually enjoy it. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I also like do a lot of like mental health advocacy and also talk pretty openly about my neurodiversity. So I'm ADHD and autistic and it definitely influences how I work. So yeah, that's me. Nice. Thank you. I'm also one of those weird people who actually enjoy public speaking. <laughs> Go figure. Taylor. I felt like for... For a long time, it was, I felt like at least like it was frowned upon to say that you enjoyed because people were like, oh, you know, just like, you just like the limelight. And I was like, yeah, okay, I do. So what? <laughs> oh no, everyone pay attention to me. <laughs> it's not like, yeah, I mean, it's not like we don't actually have something to say uh, most of the time, at least. So. Yeah. Well, and it's, that's kind of messed up, right? Because like no one questions it if I get up on stage as a very cis-presenting white dude with a lot of confidence. Like, oh, yeah, he's supposed to be there. And then it's like, Kai, you just want all the attention, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, for those who obviously can't see me, uh, Taylor is um, alluding to the fact that I'm trans mask and have started presenting more masculine. And by the way, I have definitely noticed a difference. Like in meetings, I have ADHD. I always interrupted people, but now it's suddenly okay. And people listen to me and it's like all eyes on me. And I'm like, where has this been all my life? I am allowed space. And while it infuriates me, I am also legitimately enjoying like the, the male presenting privilege. And I'm, I'm trying to use it for good at least. <laughs> I mean, that's, like that. that's the goal, right? Like, how do we take our privileges and use them to help <laughs> others is something that exactly. I've thought a lot about starting 
distributed um you know i think like well, you should, you should introduce yourself maybe first oh yeah that's a good point <laughs> Sorry, already diving in i mean i also have adhd and neurodivergence so i'm just like oh conversation let me jump into that thing um but hi everybody i'm taylor fairbank i'm the co-founder and director of growth at distribute aid um and so I, I have a um, tech background, kind of taught myself how to code, doing little websites or plugging the answers into the math test on my calculator back in high school. Um, went to school at the University of Illinois for computer science and then dropped out with three credits left because my first uh, startup got funded by Y Combinator. So I said, okay, I don't need a piece of paper, anyone's permission to do what I want to do. And these people in Silicon Valley are offering me a bunch of money to go do that. So why not? Um, So that was a really great learning experience, right? First startup. And one of the things that I learned is I love early stage, high growth organizations. Now, capitalism, investor money, eh, take it or leave it, but can I just find the hardest problems and the best people in the world to go solve them and make that difference, you know, overcome some impossible challenge. So that kind of led me, uh, Trump got elected, my startup failed in the same month. 2017 was a rough year, let me tell you. (laughs) That's insult to injury. (laughs) I know, right? I'm like, wow, like uh, the national loss and the personal loss just right there. Um, But uh, I've lived abroad, I've moved around my whole life, uh, pretty nomadic, um, just do parents' jobs and then the love of travel as I get older. So like, you know what, I have friends who owe me favors in Europe. I'm going to go crash on their couch for six months and uh, ended up in Scotland with my co-founder, Sara, got involved in the local refugee aid movement, loved it, and um, knew that we, we had to do something um, in this field. So it kind of leads to the, the tech side of things a little bit, and I guess this is more an intro of me and DA, um, but we, we wanted to start off with this logistics platform to just make it easy for groups to do aid matching, you know, what do you have? Where is it needed? Who do you call to ship it there? Um, and one of the things I'm really proud of in the early days was that we weren't just waltzing in as a Swede and an American into this complex, you know, Europe-wide, uh, really, really international problem um, saying, oh, we have a, an app for that. We've solved your complex geopolitical human cultural issue with this technology. Um, we took a trip around Europe, did the Eurorail thing after Sara graduated and um, met 35 aid groups in seven different countries. And every single one of them said, yes, go solve this. And by the way, here's three other things we need you to work on while you're at it. So that's kind of my story, my background, how we got to the start of DA in 2019. Um, And thank you all so much for listening. I'm going to pass the mic for a second here. The real irony is that we lived in Scotland at the same time and didn't know each other. It's such a small world. Like I just keep meeting people. Like yeah, remember? but I was there from 2016 to 2021, and you were in Perthshire, right? Or- um, Dundee. No, Dundee, yeah. yeah. And I was in Edinburgh, so it was not that far, but like... I yeah, went to Edinburgh, yeah. Great shows, a nice night bus at like three in the morning back to Dundee, you know. <laughs> it is, I, I keep, no, 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 I, I keep um, experiencing that. I think being at Mozilla I, for a long time, I uh, got to know a whole bunch of people. And now after, after having left there, 
there's so many people that I meet that has some connection back to Mozilla. It's like, oh, you know so-and-so? It's like, yeah, oh, I know them too. It's like, oh, my goodness gracious. This is such a small world. Um, but talking about small world, uh, so the way you went about identifying like the whole what distribute aid should do and how it should approach it, you know, going to speak to actual people and actual organizations that hit home for me because I don't know how many years ago that is. This is now. It might be six, seven, eight years ago. I started this project called Third World Problems. And the idea about it was I wanted to identify real third world problems and then through that maybe create a community around it of tech people who could solve this. Now, I quickly learned that you can't solve most of these things through technology alone. <laughs> there is a much bigger challenge here. Um, but that was actually cool because that's what I had in mind. I wanted to understand what is the real problem because you always hear about this thing where people come to a country and say, hey, here are 100 trucks full of water. And they say, but actually we need mosquito nets. And it's like, no, 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 you really, what you need is water. And they're like, no, really, we need mosquito nets. The water might actually breed more mosquitoes, exacerbating our damn problem. Exactly. So, yeah, here's all the so, food. Oh, no, I just put all the local farmers out of business. And so now this country is dependent on aid for the next decade. It's those secondary and tertiary impacts that often, you know, can create lots of good, but also have the potential to create more harm than the direct intervention. And so it's so great to hear you as you explore your own project there, Skulk, um, you know, take a step back from that move fast and break things of the human of the technology world. Like, that's great. If you're a VC funded tech company putting a product out on the internet, that is not great. If you are trying to help people that are already vulnerable navigate the challenges of their lives. Exactly. To be honest, I'm never a fan of move fast and break things because you also break people when you do that. So I'm just generally not a fan. Um, but like these kind of situations drive it home even more that it's like, yeah, definitely you need to listen what people need. I'm like 50-50 on it. Like emergency response, DA's got to move fast, but... Yeah, but you, you know, don't break things. Exactly. Well, yeah, just our budget sometimes no. with the uh, import, <laughs> you know, but we deal with that well. Um, no, but that's something I'm, I'm really proud of, right, is um, this, uh, this arc um, starting off wanting to do a tech platform. And then we realized, you know, we did a round of um, alpha testing in Greece in 2019, kind of going back to some of those frontline partners we visited. And they said, oh, this is great. We love the direction the technology is going. When can we really get our hands on it, get it to our partners? But the number one piece of feedback we got was, hey, winter's coming. I have 20,000 blankets in Germany. I need you to get them here before people start getting frostbite. You know, and just hearing that consistently across a number of groups, it's like, right, we'll build the platform one day, but we need to go build out our own supply chain. And that really helped us normalize a lot of the real world operations, really dive into the industry, right? So and I didn't have logistics backgrounds. And I'm so proud that we were able to get that in place and be able to respond to COVID, be able to respond to Ukraine, be able to respond to uh, the Afghan evacuation, which is why I came back to the uh, US for the past couple of years. And now with the launch of this open 
open source explorers program that Kai is leading, um, they're going to bring it home. They're going to bring it full circle back to that original technology play. But after about five years of experience doing that hard kind of on the ground sort of physical real world supply chain work. Um, I didn't mean to distract from your point, though, Skull. Definitely ADHD. So please, like, what you, you found out that it wasn't just tech that was needed. Where did that lead you? Uh, we kind of know where it led us in distribute aid, but it's interesting to hear, you know, your own journey through this stuff. Yeah, for me, unfortunately, it, it kind of fell flat because I didn't know who to speak to, right? I didn't know who all the right people were. And I, I couldn't build up a efficient network of people that could connect me and therefore connect the wider thing. I mean, it, it, we, they talked about it on opensource.com, I think it was at that stage. Now it's opensource.net. Um, it was published there. It got a little bit of traction, but then people lost interest and like faded away. I think people might have lost interest a bit because they realized that it wasn't a tech-only problem and they were more interested in the tech-only side of it. Um, but now I feel like I'm indirectly still doing that by speaking to people like you all who have have found the traction and have found the commitment and I can, you know, do my little bit by elevating your, your voices and giving you a place to speak about the shit you do. So, um, and then this whole open source angle that you just alluded to um, plays into that and that's an area that I'm super passionate about. I think open source is an incredible vehicle to change the world if we use it and respect it for what it's supposed to be. Um, so, yeah, so that one kind of fizzled out, but it's it's cool to see other people like taking the torch and running with it and doing something useful. And I have some questions about uh, some of the things you've mentioned, Taylor, but I think maybe uh, let's close the circle as well by speaking, like Kai, if you can like jump into the um, open, open Source Explorers program, what that is, what you've done. I know it's, I think it's the first time you're doing it this time and where are you all at with that and all that kind of thing. So um, the idea with Open Source Explorers, so let's start somewhere else. Um, Distributed has always had an open source approach to anything that was even remotely um, technology related in their work. And while, yes, a lot of it, like Tales that couldn't be like what, what probably most people expect when you say open source, there's not like a huge code base that you can contribute to or anything, but what, what could be open source is open source. Um, but a lot of it, very simply put, even though it's not simple, runs on spreadsheets at the moment. Uh, which is which is great and fine and everything, but uh, we're getting to the point where the spreadsheets are beginning to not just save people time, but also make work for people. Um, there are things that could go faster if we could get them to a higher technological level, but simply put, um, we've not had the resources up until now. Um, yeah, and when... Taylor approached me. I don't know when was that August? No, I'm not. I started in August, but like last well, summer, mid, mid summer, I would yeah. say, yeah, something sure. like that. Yeah. Um, so the idea for an outreach program was already there. The idea to bring people into distribute aid through their interest in open source, um, and then, but there was there was not anything concrete at the time. So when I started, um. I kind of feel like I've had, I've had the ideal background because I have always wanted to contribute to open source, but as someone who is not like I'm learning to code, but I'm not a developer. And whenever I've been like, 
hey, I would love to contribute. Uh, people have told me, well, you can write documentation. I was like, I, you, I'm, a, I'm a writer, but I've not done documentation. I can't do documentation. And so all these kinds of things, you know, just pick up an issue and all that. So I was very keenly aware of how hard it is to actually get into open source, despite all the claims that open source is also welcoming and also open. It is welcoming if you know what you're doing. Um, and if you don't yet know what you're doing in open source, it can be extremely intimidating. And I, I see this even with people like my partner who's been a developer for, I think, seven years at this point. They've never gotten into open source themselves either because they just they just didn't know where to start, where to get in. How like So that's kind of what my approach was for this program to not just get us the kind of help we need to drive these projects forward, but to also offer people who who are already working and know their field and their domain and their work really well and help them get into open source by giving them a bit of guidance, um, a helping hand, support, mentors, etc. And what was really important to me and what was, is I think, very unique that it's possible with distributed and open source explorers is that we are not just targeting developers. We're, we opened up our applications to pretty much everyone, but we were primarily thinking about developers, designers, um, documentation people, technical writers, um, but like in my head, I knew that if someone would show up that I hadn't thought of with like an interesting skill set that we could use, I would be delighted. So like, um, yeah, we had, I could talk about, but yeah, we had, we had about 70 applicants. I was, we started, I started working on this in August. So it is like, we really, I always say we're building the plane on the way down. And that is, that is 100% not a lie we are building the plane on the way down I mean, we were we meant to start organization right like that's kind of our ethos <laughs> we were and there are a lot of like like that's the great thing like the people at distribute aid are extremely patient with me and the program because they they've been through this with other things it's just it's just in a different color you know what i mean um so yeah we started in august um we wanted to like start promoting it during october because of Oktoberfest. Uh, sort of managed to do that a little bit and um, I was super nervous that nobody would would apply <laughs> and then um, Ruth Ikiga uh, shared my post on LinkedIn and we kind of went big on the African continent and we had 70-ish applications heavily software development but also a lot of like designers people specifically saying they're interested in accessibility people a lot of people interested in documentation so we've we're putting together a really neat documentation work they're also going to be not just working on technical documentation but also on documentation that distribute aid needs from a non-technical perspective which is going to be really interesting um and i think it's definitely going to be um yeah expand their horizons i think as well um it's a three-month program we were meant to start on january 8th but the, we kind of all of us forgot that christmas is a thing and holidays are a thing and then people don't work and we just kind of like um okay that's not gonna happen so we're currently finally selecting our participants and we're going to start on january 26th if i'm not mistaken it's a three-month program it's built heavily on doing your own work with a partner we're 
we're pairing them up, the participants, or maybe like three people per team. Each team gets a mentor. So currently the plan is to have one documentation team. We have a design team. Um, we have, and we're going to have two to three software teams. We wanted an accessibility team, but it's, uh, we couldn't really nail down a mentor that had enough time for that one. So we're going to build that into the rest of the program. Um, yeah, these teams are going to work alone, like in their teams with their mentor, but also obviously across teams. So design is going to work with software development to on the website, things like that. So there's going to, it's also going to be opportunity for people to gain a bit more experience in collaboration, communication. This is also something that we're going to cover, like we call it a curriculum. It's, it's, we, we keep saying it's not educational and the program isn't educational, but there's a lot of support and guidance. So we're going to go through all the things that scared me at first that are like, how, how do you open source? Like, how do you communicate in open source? How do you collaborate? How do you do a pull request? How do you write an issue? How do you respond to an issue? All these things we're going to go through. Um, we're going to be a bit more heavy on the guidance in the first four-ish weeks or so, and then send people off with their mentors to get work done. And yeah, uh, we're trying to make this possible in a way that people can build it around their work and lives as well, especially even if they work full-time. So of course, a lot of people got interested in this because they're in between jobs at the moment, the way the tech industry is looking. <laughs> and they're doing this in the meantime and they have more time, but we definitely also have people who who work full-time and need to, to fit this around. So we're always going to record sessions and yeah. And we're probably also going to live stream a lot um, for the public as well. So open source. No, I mean, We're trying to embody this open source principle like throughout everything we do from at the end of the day, aid work, as far as I can tell, is a lot like open source work. Well, it's um, very interesting. Like we've, we've intentionally drawn a lot, like you said, from the beginning, um, from the open source community, I have that kind of software dev background and was part of the open source, you know, on the technical side. Um, but even beyond our own technical projects and data projects, incorporating that into things like knowledge sharing, right? Looking at those dev docs and how do we do that for humanitarian aid logistics so that when we learn about the new Ukraine import system that goes into effect in three months and we're ahead of the curve, of course, we're about to send our first container using that system this month, um, it, how do we share that with the wider humanitarian aid and logistics community? Um, you know, there's a lot of these legacy industries that um, people make a lot of money by gatekeeping knowledge. And that's certainly true of import export agents. And so we're happy to pay professionals to do work for us. Like truck drivers deserve to get paid. Importers, you know, agents deserve to get paid, all that good stuff. But this idea of paying for access to knowledge, right, is so foreign to me as someone coming from that software world. So we kind of view the open source community as the largest solidarity economy in the world. And if you zoom out to a 40,000 foot view, or maybe I should say 40,000 meters, uh, <laughs> talking to the audience I am, um, you know, Distribute Aid is essentially building a non-capitalist needs-based economy, right? As kind of the very base level. If you're in the economy, you don't need money. And we prioritize things not by money, but by 
basic human needs. Um, and I feel like in general, this mutual aid movement that we've seen spring up around the world in the wake of Trump's election, in the wake of COVID, um, you know, can learn a lot from the open source, right? And I'm really interested in that intersection of virtual and physical. Like, I love the concept of cyborgs, you know? Not AI, whatever, you know? Maybe labor what is cyborgs, heck yes. Let's let's make humans the best we can be. Um, and so how, you, you guys, a great question, Scott, that you posed earlier. How do we connect tech professionals, right? And new people coming into the tech world with different backgrounds, with different life experiences, to making a physical impact. You know, how do we turn moving electrons around the world into moving atoms to conflict zones to help people in need? And so I feel like there has been this divide where people are more interested in using their skill. Like you said, it's like tech folks want to do tech folks. And there's a gap between the aid organizations that are running these real operations, right? And the tech community. I feel like Kai's Open Source Explorers program is trying to answer that question, right? How do we get tech people and the folks making stuff happen, IRL, together, how do we make that not a bunch of meetings, right? We're very action oriented. Let's get the aid there. Let's get the, you know, next push to production out. Um, so we don't want to just sit around. We're open source. People, like I said, are going to be doing this after work, all different time zones. So we have to be flexible. We have to treat our people right. Um, you know, no one's getting paid. But that also means that we don't have the ability to just do knowledge jumping, right? I can't sit my devs down and my logist logisticians down and have them spend a week just, you know, shadowing each other. Um, and so that's where we've kind of done a lot of work setting up spreadsheets to normalize data, to get formulas down, to document knowledge. We really view the Open Source Explorers program and our kind of renewed open source push here as the scaling factor. We have models that work. We've run them for five years across a number of different responses, but Distribute Aid is a tiny grassroots organization, right? We're limited by the resources we have access to. We're limited by our team. Knowledge sharing and open source technology is how we do things like beat climate change or respond to these two global wars, right, um, that are happening right now. Um, shout out to South Africa, by the way. Uh, thank you all for bringing that suit to the International Criminal Court. Um, that's something that I think is really an important global conversation to be having right now with what's going on in Gaza and given you know, the history in, in your country. My mom was actually um, a surgeon in one of the black homelands during apartheid, one of two Western orthopedic surgeons. Um, so it's, uh, you know, I think it's very powerful um, that South Africa did bring that suit and is pushing on the political level. Um, maybe edit that away from the tech stuff. When we actually, I don't know. We can, we can talk about it more. It's just like rolling there. But uh yeah, I can, I can, I can bring us back to open source, into, Kai. <laughs> I can talk into the whole like, um, as you both said before. <coughs> sorry, um, people in tech uh, want to do the tech, and they're not interested in doing anything else. Like I've I've seen that in the applications that rolled in as well. It was really easy to very quickly dismiss people who were only giving us because we had a bit of like a question, a bit of a form to fill out, and we're then. 
a lot of people were like clearly just open source this open source this tech this tech that and then there there were those gems that really stood out in the applications who were like actually considering what we do at distributed and trying to bring that together in their application as well and saying like i i I love tech and open source, but I kind of wanted to do something where I feel like I'm doing something to actually impact the world. Um, and I think that's that's something that that's very important to understand about this program. It's it's not primarily an open source program. It's not primarily a developer program or a tech program. It's primarily a program to support the work of the distributed. Yeah, no, I mean, that that's a core part of distributed too, right? When we calculate our impact stats, you know, and I go look at things for kind of accountability and transparency purposes, and we come up with numbers like every hour someone spends volunteering at distributed delivers $800 worth of aid to the front lines, we're counting our open source contributors in that, right? That's not just the program, the logisticians, that is all of us as a whole working together, you know? And so we really do want people to feel that that their contributions on the code front lead to this real world impact and just how distributed is kind of a second line organization working directly with our frontline partners. You know, our open source folks are kind of that third line, but all of that work flows through. It's less direct, but that scale is just as powerful. Um, and whether that's documenting data from different responses, so academics can take that and kind of do the research to advance the field of humanitarian aid and logistics, um, or building forms to make it easier for in-kind donors to give us the information that we need to save products from a landfill and instead direct it to people in another country that could use those items. That is what this program is building. And so tech folks get excited about tech and we definitely have some cool tech going on, but it's so important to us to also connect our tech contributors to that real world impact. And that's what I love about this combination, right? Our supply chains are how we connect caring communities throughout the world right now. But with this diverse program that Kai's built, they've really been able to get folks from India, Kenya, Nigeria. Um, you got to get us some South African applicants next time. Um, you know, the United States, folks from all over Europe, the UK, we're, we're seeing how open source can be another way to connect caring communities. And in an era of global crises, that connection, that trust, building it now, whether it's on the supply chain side or the open source side, lets us work together in the future. Right. I know that Kenya has a lot of refugees. We've been looking at getting aid into Africa for a long time and we have to be careful and we can't overcommit ourselves. I think it's awesome that we now know developers, people are part of the DA community right there in Nairobi. Right. And that can be the first link, the first bridge that we build before we're able to get the supply chain, just like in other parts of the world, like Lebanon, it was about sending aid in after the Beirut blast. And hopefully the tools that we build from these other communities we're able to share with them and get more aid to them in the future. And so it's, it's kind of cool already to see that scaling factor in tech just through the program, not even through the tools that we're going to be building, but we have three or four or five new communities, new countries that we have connections to. Um, and I'm really proud of all the work that Kai's done to, uh, to make this happen. 
you're not going to get like a tech playground here. We're here to to support the sometimes nitty gritty needs that the admin and um, logistics teams need us to make easier. And but that, I think that's 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 where it becomes fulfilling and where people in tech can then feel like, oh, I'm actually, you know, it's not just like, oh, I have open source experience, but like I've contributed to something that has literally changed lives, literally saved lives. Sure. The chain there is long, but at least for me, it means a lot. And it's, um, I feel like I'm putting my powers to good use here or something, you know? Well, let me assure you, you absolutely are. And just to um, close that, Sorry, I had a thought, but it's ADHD. I was, I was going to add, and also to like, but also if we're going to like focus on the open source aspect, our hope is really that our participant from, this is not going to be our only cohort, hopefully, and we're hoping that participants, and I think we're hoping for like 40% to stick around in open source, whether that's with us at Distribute8 or going on to other open source projects that they've always wanted to join, but again, didn't have the the confidence to join but we're hoping that this will benefit the open source community in general as well and then hey thinking big i know taylor taylor has brought this up many times maybe other open source communities will use our program as an example or model to do the same because like a lot of people at open source often complain that there's not enough contributors okay but you're not making it people (laughs) making it easy for people to join so make it easier you need to put that work in so you have less work later i think yeah well i hope it also serves as a model to connect operational orgs or advocacy orgs with tech right because we're doing it from both sides how do you get folks in the open source how do you get them to contribute to your projects but also how do you how do you get the admin and ops folks to talk to the documentation team? Can we get them on GitHub creating issues, you know, through the, the forms you have now, um, stuff like that. And I think that is a really important point that Kai mentioned, the longevity, right? Like, yes, it's not a playground. We have very specific things that we need done. And some of that's going to be super interesting and exciting. And sometimes that's a lot of boilerplate code that just needs to get the landing page up. Um But because we already have the operational component of this built out, and we've seen this with our existing projects in production, like our needs assessment, once these projects get to a point that they're in production, we will just keep using them for years and years and years. And so I think that's really powerful for our participants, you know, thinking about that it's hard to get a job in tech right now. Who knows how long that'll last? Put your skills to good use, learn a thing or two in this kind of apprentice style program we're building. In a year from now, you can still point at the code that you wrote in the distributed code base, and you can take your employer and show them the web page, and you can tell a great story about the impact that you created for other people and all the wonderful folks around the world that you collaborated to make that happen. Um, and so we hope it's really good for our, our participants with that longevity. And then, like I was saying, can this become a template if they can solve this problem how do you get ops and tech and you know do that in an open source grassroots kind of way um get to the meta level right well we want to turn over everything that we've done and document our process putting this program together and please steal my stuff you know i'm not like disney i'm not going to copyright this for forever it's all you know like you drop a little credit or something like that at the bottom but take it and go do good things with it. And if we can make it work for us, I just know there's so many other projects that can make it work for them. 
I think we're definitely not the right program for people who want to like distinguish themselves in some way. Um, because a lot of them, a lot of those people often think they're too good to do like the nitty gritty stuff or to, oh, that's not technical enough for me and things like that. We're, we're definitely the right place though, for all those people who are already marginalized in some way, shape or form themselves. Um, those people who've, like I said, have had a hard time getting into open source. Um, and I kind of love that, that we're like, we're helping marginalized people, but we're also a community of marginalized people in, in various intersections and everything. Build so, your own solutions, right? Like, like exactly. we can be the change we want. I guess we have, we have, a, we also have a vested interest and whatnot. Um, but yeah, um, I, I kind of love that. Um, and it was very important to me to to advertise and promote the program as specifically very, very, very inclusive. And it's definitely going to be a learning experience for all of us because it's going to be different culturally. Like we're going to have, we're going to be interacting with lots of people from different cultures, um, different ways of life, et cetera, different marginalizations. And um, I think it's, it's, it's very... It's going to be a very good learning experience for everyone involved, uh, participants, mentors, and us and the team as well. Yeah. So for, so, so the open source explorers program is like people have applied, it's going to start the end of January and run for three months. Um, what about people that didn't get into the cohort? Is there still a way for them to contribute? Um, so what we're, what we're going to do is when we send out the rejections is we're going to definitely, um, encourage people to apply again. We're planning for this to not be the only cohort. Like, I don't know. I hope I don't eat my words in a few months, but like we're planning to have this running long-term, especially since all the growing pains should be, should be over after one or two cohorts and then it can go more smoothly and be less planning intensive, I guess. Um, so yeah, people should definitely um, reapply if they want to. I guess I'm also open to people reaching out and asking why they didn't get in because a lot of the time it was as simple as this person already has open source experience. Uh, we're trying to give people an in who don't have that yet. And to those people, I say they could come join us as contribute as regular contributors through our regular volunteer track, the way I have joined, the way many others have joined. Uh, they won't have anything to do with the program. Probably. I don't know. Maybe they will with later chords. Maybe they'll help us out in some way. Um, but the idea is like they don't need the program. They can just come contribute. So that's definitely an option. Um, there are some people who I think probably were too fresh out of bootcamp. Taylor, you were the one who looked at more of the software applications. I think some people were just too fresh still on a technological kind of. Yeah, it definitely it goes back to like, this is a good apprenticeship, right? We, we're not teachers, we're doers, and we have great projects, but we need real contributions. And so I think there's definitely some folks that like, you know, plenty of other open source projects out there, plenty of um, educational programs online that you can work through for, for free. Want to see those folks put in another three months during this program. That's not like a, hey, give up, don't do it. It's like, no, buckle down, work hard, apply for the next one, get in there. Um, and then I, I would also encourage, we saw some folks that have spent their whole careers coding. That's another angle of this program, right? Is you might be um, a newcomer in the coding field 
field and we are a refugee aid org. We love newcomers, but you, you might've been a coder or otherwise, you know, participating in software development for your whole career at a private company. And so I think this idea of, you know, anyone can contribute regardless of whatever, who you are, something like that, where you live, but also regardless of your age, right? And there's so many skilled software developers, but it's a, a young industry. There's some real ageism in tech. And so, you know, folks later on in their careers, they maybe didn't catch that open source wave in college or something like that. But I'd say you're never too old to contribute to humanity and want this to be a way to get people into open source, um, you know, whether that's coming up from the bottom or coming over after a career doing private work in tech. Yeah, that's great. So, um, so I mean, so there is just standard, like I get by your repositories on GitHub today and I want to contribute. There's means to do that, right? Will you be identifying clearly like this is work that OEC works on and this is stuff that's open to everybody else or is there no real... Well, since a lot of it is, like I said, based on, on, on spreadsheets at the moment, we're currently in the phase of identifying where the next easy steps for growth are to become more technical. And um, I think give us a cohort or like if you like really want to develop, like if you want to contribute just purely as a developer, give us like a, a cohort or two to get, get our ducks in a row and our docs in a row. Um, yeah. Well, that, that's a real, right? This is like a new a new thing for the OSE participants. It's also a new thing for our admin and ops volunteers. And so there's there's kind of this apprentice, you know, it's like we're all going to learn how to run this well together. And I'd say after this first cohort, there will be a lot more documentation, a lot more issues. There will be some of those live streams that are public, right? And um, folks can follow along. So please follow along. We're going to be doing these public educational systems, um, but probably easier to jump in three months from now. In the meantime, you can always donate. We can always use some more donations That's if you want true. to support our work and kind of participate in that front. Um, I didn't mean to cut you off there, Kai. Just... No, I just wanted to, I, I thought of a way that is easy to explain where we're at. Um, up until now, Distribute it did not technically have a tech team. It was... Taylor and Ramon helping out wherever it was needed or Taylor just getting random people in like friends for like one-off things. Technically, Open Source Explorers is currently the, the technical department and we're facing this issue where if if we're getting people in who want to contribute it like, like they would to any other open source project, we don't actually have the work for them yet. Okay, okay. So, yeah. We're, we're, we're getting our ducks in a row. But I mean, so you're going to be doing this whole thing, like a bold in public kind of style. So, and so I, I'm guessing repositories will start popping up on GitHub, right? With some work in work in motion, that kind of thing. Yeah, we, we do have repositories on GitHub. If you go to distribute aids, um, you know, org page on GitHub, you'll find our existing work. It's, it's just, all the maintenance really is what it is. And I try to keep up with that. I know Ramon tries to keep up with that, but you know, 
I'm an aid worker. I, I get to sit down and carve out my month during Hacktoberfest and then get sucked into emergency winter aid shipments for, for two months there. And so I think that's, you know, it's been a big part of this program that Kai's been building. They've done a great job not just getting a bunch of folks to apply as participants, but also really building out that tech-focused team. Like they said, the mentors are really involved. We have some great mentors that have previous ex- program, um, experience running these programs and contributing to open source and everything. And so they're helping us out a lot. We're going through a lot of training uh, to make it easier for our non-tech contributors to get those issues up, get that project documentation up, um, all that good stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's exciting. It's very exciting. Um, So irrespective of like whether it's technical or not at all technical, like what are ways that people can help today? Donate. I would say donate. I'm interested in talking to any experienced open source developers, actually. Um, we, We could probably use some more maintainers on a project side, not a program side. Um, and get involved in your own community. I feel like a lot of this, you know, is a lot of what do we do right now about today's crisis, but we're in a post-COVID world. It's bigger, badder crises more frequently than ever everywhere. And so I think that it's more about adjusting your expectations to the future and holding on to the hope that we will make it, but being realistic about what that means and diving in and making an impact where you can. So there's a lot of other great open source projects out there, right? Just because we're not quite set up to uh, mass onboard contributors, kind of sticking with the program structure for now, doesn't mean they're not other good projects that are. And there's a lot of community work to be done, right? Mutual aid is a big thing. Go hang out with Food Not Bombs and see what it's like doing a frontline distribution. Go collect sweaters. Um, or there's so many wonderful women um, that we work with in the UK and Lebanon. They they hand sew period pads. You know, speaking of tech, that was a big part of our COVID response was not shipping all the PPE. We did that later, but at the start, there wasn't any PPE. It was picking up the phone and getting on, you know, the Discord or Slack of these different 3D printing groups and saying, all right, guys, here's the, you know, here's the face shield diagram. Go print as many of these as you can. And here's how to get them in the hospitals. Because as a stranger, you can't just walk up to the front door of a hospital with a bunch of PPE and say, here you go. But the stuff you make in your basement with your 3D printers, like what's going to save that nurse's life? You know, Um, I I think a very important factor is in this world is not to be like, oh, this and this and this and this and this is what I can do. But ask, how can I help? And then. And then get your hands dirty as well. And if it's not like you can't show off all your coding skills, that that's fine because you're still helping. Yeah, agreed. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, no. I just felt like it's like how and where can I help is like the most important question people should ask. And I realized that that's actually what you asked. But I also have some like like wishes for the program, but I, I'm going to let Taylor continue. <laughs> No, I just wanted to kind of touch on timescales. You know, I think especially in tech, everything moves really quickly. Like look at the rise of AI in the past six months of last year. And now it's like the global tech conversation where, you know, it's like we're, we're used to things like that because we move at the speed of electrons, right? Um, but Distribute Aid is actually really focused on 
that long-term survival of humanity. You know, we don't measure, like, we win twice. We win every time we get an aid shipment delivered. It doesn't count. I don't get any cookies until it actually gets there, right? And then we win when we beat climate change, right? We win when every refugee has safe pathways to be resettled. We win when we uphold international human rights laws and minimize war and protect civilians. And so I'm not thinking about this as a tech startup where my timeline is the next two years and I have to go raise another funding round. This is really a generational project to build the community connections physically through the supply chain, virtually through technology, knowledge sharing, that will help all of us make it through. And I really like that. It's very inspiring. Like, I don't think I'm going to make it past the apocalypse, (laughs) but I think we'll know which way humanity is going. And that's good enough for me. You know, it's like, if we can just do our part and, and kind of build these systems of care for each other, then I think we'll be just fine. Yeah, that's awesome. It makes me feel less useless. I, I I hear what you're saying. Yeah, I think a lot of people, I think like my kids, for example, I think they are very much in that, what the heck can I do? Because what do I have to look forward to when it seems like the whole mm-hmm. world just doesn't care right. about the most important things? Um, like, for example, last night I was speaking to my daughter and I was saying like, people are going berserk about this little orange box with a rabbit on it that you can push to talk but there's so at the so ah uh, yeah the AI yeah, thing rabbit. yeah i just i just came across that yeah today. i'm like this first that. of all it looks like so cheaply made and secondly what can it do that your phone Probably. can't do and then thirdly can we maybe look at curing cancer before we make another device you can carry around with yourself you know it's, it's just like sometimes it feels like or just make people carry masks around instead and put them on that would be a huge boon already yeah you know? it's like <laughs> ditch the rabbit pick up a mask yeah so sometimes it feels like the priorities of the world is just skewed i understand people need stuff to be excited about and stuff but i think we can get excited about more important things as well um but um I think this conversation can potentially go on for like 20 hours. Um, But I think most of you have kind of hinted towards things that I think would be nice to close out on. So um, Kai, you mentioned that you have some wishes for this program. So I think if you can jump through those and then um, Taylor, I would love to know like what you've been doing this for a while now and you've seen many things like the world has been a little chaotic the last three, four years to put it mildly. What have you seen that's been like really eye-opening? And I want you to go to the dark side a little bit and then maybe just close us off on the light. Like what are some some rays of light you've seen that makes you still hope for a good future for us all? So I guess I go first. Um, Yeah, what I kind of wish for, because you asked how can people contribute if they're not in the program or if they're not like a perfect fit for the program. Um we would love to get an accessibility mentor who can commit some time. Um, the issue with people who are experts in accessibility is that they're often disabled in some way, shape or form themselves and do not have the energy to put that much in, which as an autistic person, I 100% understand, but I would love to get some, someone on board for, for a whole cohort rather than just guest sessions, which we I'm have I'm going to interrupt you um, and then, for a second. Yeah. I'm happy to throw my hat in. I'm an accessibility evangelist. Um, Wonderful. Let's talk. 
<laughs> Maybe not now. This, this but let's grassroots see. networking at its finest. This is how it's done, people. You hang out with your friends Perfect. and they introduce you to their friends and now you have an accessibility mentor. Exactly. I mean that's what I've, what we've been trying, but just none of none of my leads so far have, have panned out. Cool. Um, yeah, let's so, let's talk yeah. after the podcast for sure. I'm I'm volunteering. Fantastic. Um, I'm going to keep Taylor from trying to add you in in the existing cohort because that's what he's going to try to do and it's going to put everything into jumbles again. <laughs> but for the next cohort, yes. I think, I think what we can do, Skog, is let's work you in and talk to the dev teams, right? Let's let's maybe get you on an educational session with Ramon, get you kind of supporting the other mentors, doing some accessibility reviews, helping us build out, you know, the, um, the, the standard operating procedure as we talk about in logistics, right? It's like, I, I like boxes to check and then I know everything's good. Um, and then I think that sets us up to lead an accessibility team. Um, and something, you know, just like Kai's been talking about this whole time, accessibility is not just a tech problem for us. You know, documentation is not just a tech problem for us. I think they're really interesting opportunities to look at things on the technical side, but let's also do a 360. Let's make sure our Zoom calls are accessible. Let's make sure, you know, we're we're being able to welcome people, different sorts of backgrounds um, across the org. So I would really appreciate your help on all of that. Awesome. Fantastic. And the other thing, the other thing that we've not been able to find is, someone to support me in leading this program. I currently, like Taylor's my backup, but Taylor is already the backup for everything. Um, Taylor's not, Taylor cannot be my backup. It is incredibly hard to find someone. The people who are aware of open source and tech and all of that want that kind of, oh, I want to, like I've talked to some people that are like, oh, but I, I, I kind of want to do the open source stuff, the tech stuff. I need, I need someone to help with, boring ass things like meeting notes and handle dealing with application spreadsheets and writing rejection emails and um being my backup brain or backing me up when I'm sick or something or an autistic burnout and it's been impossible to find that. And on the other hand, we can't just go into like the aid world and find someone there because they might not be technical enough. So what I'm really looking for is maybe another me which is, is very often a problem. It's already been a problem in my work. Um, some of my clients have said, could we clone you? That would be fantastic. Um, I want someone who knows tech, who is interested in tech, but who's also not finding themselves too good to do some of the shitty work that I have to do because admin work is often looked down upon in tech and that's the problem. Admin work is the whole reason yeah. we can do what we do. Because without admin work, I would have bankrupted the org forever ago. Like our HR policies would be in disarray, you know. And so I think, but but yeah, good admin people, people are hard to find, and especially with a technical mm-hmm. context, because yeah, yeah, and especially trying to get free yeah. labor from them. That's obviously so. Yeah, if you know someone, please please send them away. That sounds great, Taylor. If you can take us to the dark side and then bring us to the light. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Dark. Dark to the light. Um, things aren't going great in the world, y'all. It's It's been a long five years. I kind of got into this in like 2018, 2019. Yeah, things were all right then, you know. Trump was doing bad stuff, but we were out fighting him. Um, refugees in Europe, but there was that wonderful refugee solidarity movement that, you know, really tried to help as many people as possible. It's still going on today. Since then, we've had COVID, we've had natural disasters, we've had 
two regional wars that honestly, for the parts in conflict, look a lot like genocide in both Russia and Gaza and the West Bank right now. You know, it's like, this is dark times. This is not fun. There's um, global donations are down 3%, which like doesn't sound like a lot. But when you look at inflation, when you look at the stress that puts the poorest among us, who are often the most generous, sending that same 20 bucks to each other to, to get a meal for the day, um, that really makes a difference. You know who's not feeling that is the billionaires, right? Um, and so I think that I, I talk about these things um, because it's important to be realistic about our capacity for harm. There are bad people doing bad things that make me really angry every single day. But that's the angel and the devil on our shoulders, right? We have such a terrible capacity for harm that we also have such an amazing capacity to do good and to care for each other. And oftentimes, harm is sharp. Harm is a bomb falling on your family's house. Harm is the hunger pangs that you feel in a refugee camp as you look down at the food that doesn't really meet your needs and tastes gross and you don't understand it and why are you here on this fucking island, right? Um, Good is often gentle, right? It's not sharp. It, It stays for a while. It infects your life with hope. It lets you rebuild. It lets you reconnect. And in a a digital aid and an aid of of great political divides and rising global fascism, I think we need more gentleness in our lives. It's not about diving in and being the hero and doing as much as you can and burning yourself out. Like we, We know what that burnout cycle looks like. We don't do that because it's not effective. Instead, it's adjusting your expectations. How do we do more with less? How do we stop consumption of things that are harming our planet, that are leading to the displacement of our fellow humans around the world, that are leading to these wars over resources? I've done more with less. I I have a $1,500 a month volunteer stipend, and I live just fine, you know? And so I think we need to look at ourselves. We need to look at each other. I'm not saying let the companies get away with the individualization of like, how much carbon did you burn? I'm saying hold each other, hold our communities accountable, work together in small ways every day to get the most out of the resources that we have and to do our part. You you don't have to carry the torch yourself, but you do have to pass it on to the next person. And so that's what gives me hope is that you often don't hear all the stories of good people doing good things in the world, but Being a supply chain guy, I get to talk to so many of these communities. And let me tell you, even when it feels like everyone's coming for you, like there's no way out, there are people all over the world that are looking for you, that will find you, that will get you to safety, that will help you heal and know that that's happening despite the darkness, right? Despite the trauma of the day. I'd say the last piece of advice I have connect with other communities. I've seen this this horrific news cycle over the past couple of years, especially with these wars. It's all about the bombs being dropped. It's not about the aid being delivered. And there's actually human psychology in this. It sells, trauma sells. It's, it's kind of disgusting, right? And you don't get to close that trauma loop 
You know, humans are used to being able to see some bad stuff and go outside and scream into the void very physically and literally, and then go back home and be hugged and be comforted by their people, right? If you're glued to your screen, if you're glued to your TV, your phone, whatever apps you use, you don't actually get to close that loop. When you get your news by connecting with other communities, by listening to the people that are there, you build that connection with them and you both help each other close that loop. And again, that's not a turn on the news because the disaster strikes thing, right? Harm is sharp, but good. It's gentle and have some more gentleness in your lives and be a little bit gentler with each other. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Thanks so much, Taylor. I love that idea of connecting communi- communities because they mean to divide us. We can't let them. Thanks so much, both of you. This was absolutely amazing. Um, thank you for the work that you're doing. It's incredibly important and you should feel good about it. And I'll do what I can to support this in whichever any way I can. Um, yeah, thanks so much for what you do. Keep doing it. We need it. Yeah. Oh, we will. They're not going to get rid of me just yet. <laughs> yeah. No, it's good. And, and appreciate you having us on. Yeah, thank like, you so much. Cool. It was think, um, great to get a chance to talk about both sides of this. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Hopefully bridge this, like, I feel like tech and aid work are still not, like, connected as much as they should be because, yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's okay. The future's going to just push us closer and closer together. It's like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I absolutely love all the stuff. Like, I've, I, I knew what Distribute was doing, like, vaguely, but, like, ever since I, I started and I also make a point to talk to everyone in the team as much as I can, like, just understanding what these people do, it, it's amazing. I'm in awe because, like, we're tiny, but the impact is so huge. I mean, I don't know, what didn't you recently share the numbers with me about Ukraine? We made up how many percent of the? Oh, yeah, I think we did about, um, so one of our big global freight forwarding partners is Flexport. Um, we're, we're in their nonprofit program. And so they've been funding our shipping to Ukraine. I think I think we did like five to seven percent of the shipments that they did, which, like through their aid Which program. doesn't sound like a lot, but if you consider that we're, I don't know how many people we are, but I think I can count them on less than two hands yeah. um, <laughs> um th- that's pretty amazing yeah it's amazing it's mind-blowing it's amazing yeah it's fun like i don't that's the thing though is like is it though because i feel like a lot more of us could be doing this stuff like I, I think that we're so limited by our political and economic systems and like this is what basic you know universal basic income would look like is a lot more people would be doing the things that kai and i are doing to help each other to create value for humanity instead of capturing value for themselves and so it's i mean i'm incredibly lucky that i can afford to do this because my partner earns decently and even so i now have to start freelancing again but um yeah it's like it's it's rough out there right now for so many people and especially see this like like in in my communities which is predominantly obviously trans people um neurodiverse people autistic like disabled people it's really fucking shit out there and i do not blame them for not having any kind of bandwidth to do this kind of work i wouldn't blame them for having any money but they're still chucking money at each other like the the circle of help that taylor mentioned like it's it's never it's never my 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 
my well-earning friends from school, cis, white, you know, house and picket fence friends who contribute to my top surgery go fund me or whatever. It's always the trans people who I know who don't have it themselves. It's infuriating. But I was like, please keep your money. I, I feel that. But also I'm like, kind of like, yeah, like we're going to make it, you know, not everyone's going to make it through this like pretty horrific future. It's going to get worse before it gets better. But like the folks that already know how to survive because they've already had that boot on their necks, you know, dealing with the bullshit in society, like we're kind of tough. Like I'm not worried about me or my friends. I'm worried about the folks living in that white picket fence with all their money in the stock market when the internet money numbers disappear and there's a hundred people that are looking at their house like, wow, that's a nice yard I'd like to camp in, you know, like, I know how to get around the refugee camp. My retirement plan, I'm going to run the toy warehouse at the refugee camp at the end of the world. Like everybody's going to be my friend, but you know, Bob, the tech exec's going to stand in the three hour food line with everyone else. Let me tell you that. Like, That is the dark. You should have started that. Jesus. <laughs> when Skulk said start with the dark stuff, that's proper dark. Might not be for everyone's ears. Yeah. But yeah, no, it was great. Thank you so much for letting us talk about what we do. Thank you for listening to the Mechanical Inc. podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Have something to add? Continue the conversation on GitHub and join the community on Slack. Until the next one, keep all the things open.